Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another protein-filled day here at Ag News Daily. I'm your co-host, Delaney Howell, and joining me is my other co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, what do you know today? Well, I know that the sun is shining. The temperatures are getting a little higher. I've been seeing a lot of activity on my road of... uh, yeah, it looks like folks running back and forth to the uh, the John Deere store and the farm store, getting everything ready to get out there in the field. We've got uh, you know a couple couple days left before we hit that uh, crop insurance earliest mm-hmm. plant date. But boy, that sun coming out sure changed a lot of perspectives on the farm. I know it's nice, nice it weather. It is. I'm ready for it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we deserved it. You know, I was in Kansas and they had five inches of rain. In, uh, in about the past mm-hmm. 10 days, and for a couple of those guys out in western Kansas, you know, they'll get 17 inches of rain a year. And for them to get five mm-hmm. in uh, 10 days, that was that was a pile of rain. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, so that's what's going on there, Delaney. How about you? Oh, not much going on on my end. Good. Big weekend plans? Um, I don't think so. Going to family weekend, actually. For Lane, my boyfriend's uh, fraternity, they're hosting family weekend, so that's about it. And Lane is an AGR, is that correct? Yes. All yep. right, all right. So that'll be fun. That'll be mm-hmm. fun. I am uh, cleaning out our rental property. That'll be good. Oh, yes, yeah, good. Last, last tenants uh, just left it full of garbage. So, <laughs> boy, all of you that don't have enough to do, just go ahead and buy rental property. <laughs> Boy, do we have anything uh-huh. on the news or in the news, I should say, as it relates to agriculture, Delaney? Of course we do. Um, today is the official meeting day of President Trump and President Xi of China. And hopefully on their docket of things to talk about is trade. Right. Have you have we had any word yet from uh, from the president from uh, President Xi? I haven't seen a lot. Um, looked through some news articles this, earlier today, and I haven't seen really that too much word has been released yet on what they've been talking about. But uh, hopefully we hear some news about that and can update everybody on Monday. Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to hear how those things shake out. The fact that nobody, at least that I've seen reported, nobody has stormed out of the meetings is mm-hmm. probably a good sign. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Delaney, one of the things that, uh, yeah, speaking of, of trade and working with international partners, you reported earlier this week, perhaps end of last week, about how those uh, a couple Canadian dairy processors were mm-hmm. dropping contracts with American producers. And uh, yesterday, two big uh, dairy organizations, the uh, NMPF, National Milk Producers Federation, and the U.S. Dairy Export Council, oh, and the International Dairy Foods Association, called on the federal government and on the governors in those states to take immediate action in response to the uh, well, the trade policies that Canada mm-hmm. has enacted. And basically, they're saying that uh, these policies are a violation of its trade commitments to the U.S. So, mm. uh, you know, it seems as though this protectionism that we've talked about since the start of the, well, this presidential administration is getting started, but maybe not in this country. Uh, some of it's coming from Canada, which... I believe we had talked about earlier might have been mitigated somewhat with mm-hmm. the uh, passage of TPP, which of course is, right. is no more for it's, American yes. producers. So that's interesting. It is going to play out. It is definitely getting uh, a little more high profile. 
Yeah, and I have been in contact with a few people in the dairy industry in Wisconsin. So hopefully next week we can have an interview with somebody that's being directly impacted by all of that. Perfect. That will be good to hear. It will. Well, in other trade news, on Thursday, the National Pork Producers Council held a meeting in Illinois at an NPC NPPC headquarters and they discussed growing anxiety over trade with Japan and China both and said that um, five new pork processing plants have were built in Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, and Missouri before TPP was disseminated. And so they're now concerned and anxious as to where all that extra meat is going to go if if bilateral trade agreements aren't reached with especially Japan, who I believe is still U.S.'s largest pork buyer. Okay. So their concern is that they built all these plants and added to the herd expecting that we'd have more access to Mm -hmm. those markets. And now whether we do or not remains to be seen. Right. And another portion of that is the European Union has been working with working on a free trade agreement with Japan since about 2013. And so they're nearing the end of their negotiations, I believe now. So if they were to have a free trade agreement with Japan, that might also cut down on some of the uh, pork that we can export to them. Gotcha. We might lose some market share in that. Right. uh, Yes. Okay. You know, uh, one of the things that it's been an argument since 2008, right? When we started having that food versus fuel discussion and I believe it was two or three years ago, the uh, Sioux Falls paper came out with a uh, a pretty big pick, a uh, pretty big piece on how ethanol is driving grassland and pasture land to be converted into tillable crop acres, and uh, particularly planted to corn. And so there was another study funded recently by the National Wildlife Federation, so an environmental you know uh, type of group. And the NWF study said that there are pockets of conversion around ethanol plants. Basically, that if a plant goes up in an area, the area around that will be planted more into corn. Well, the RFA, Renewable Fuels Association, and earlier this week we spoke with uh, Robert White from that Mm -hmm. group. Their senior vice president, Jeff Cooper, says actual USDA census data at the county level disproves that theory. Basically, they're saying Mm. is that the USDA data is consistent with the national trend that we have been tilling fewer and fewer acres every year. In fact, we're down 12 percent in cropland from 1997 and 2012. And the USDA data reveals that the overwhelming majority of counties with ethanol plants witnessed reductions in cropland between 97 and 2002. There were a few exemptions. It looks like there were maybe 19 counties where there was ground converted. And uh, of those, basically a lot of it could be attributed not so much to the ethanol plant, but reductions in CRP land and then, of course, ground coming from pasture into uh, crop ground, which gotcha. would be, I imagine, driven by the strong basis at the ethanol plant. Mm-hmm. I think some of that CRP ground, too, you can get, uh, is it tax credits, I believe, from the government? But they are putting a cap on that. So we might not see as drastic numbers here going forward. Yeah, CRP acres, and I, I forget the number offhand. I don't have it in front of me, mm-hmm. but yeah, they're reducing acreage that's allowed to be enrolled in CRP. Yes. But, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of farmers over this past year. The way that CRP is figured, 
Um, right now, some guys, some men and women, are having compete, having to compete with CRP to uh, cash rent rent cash rent ground. Man, I'm having a hard uh. time talking today, Delaney. <laughs> you got any other news for us right now, Delaney? No, I think we uh, should kick it off to the market so we can get to our great interview. Let's do that. Let's take a look here at the markets. I'm going to start out here looking at corn. Corn closed down today. May corn down one and a quarter cents at 3.59 and a half. December corn down one and a half at 3.84 and a half. In soybeans mixed in the markets today, the nearby May soybean up a half a cent at 9.42 even. Novi beans down one and a quarter at 9.49 and a half. On the wheat side, May wheat up three quarters of a cent at 4.24 even. December 17 wheat down three quarters at 4.70 even. Oh shoot, I just closed my livestock markets. What am I thinking, Delaney Howell? I'll finish Jeez. them up for you, Mike. Hold up. Do you have them handy? I do. You've got, oh, and I just closed it again. All right, Delaney, I'm throwing it over <laughs> to you. I'm having a hard time today. All right, in the live cattle markets, April cattle up $1.25, closing the day at one twenty. Oh five, June live cattle up again, one sixty-seven and a half, closing the day at one eleven eighty. In the live in the feeder cattle markets, excuse me, April feeder cattle up a dollar eighty to close the day at one thirty-three seventy-five. May feeder cattle up a dollar seventy, closing the day at one thirty-three eighty-seven and a half. In the lean hog markets, ooh, I don't have that one pulled up. Do you have it now, Mike? I certainly do. So I like this kind of a tag team uh, relay Perfect. type option here. Lean hogs, April lean hogs down 60 cents, closed at 63.32 and a half. May lean hogs down 55 cents, closed at 69 bucks even. And that's the markets, Delaney. How we made it through. We did. Now who and... are we talking to today? Well, as mentioned in previous podcasts, we have Bruce Schmoll, and he is with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He's a chairman for them. He is going to be talking to us not only about beef, but pork as well and other proteins and what they're doing to get that meat into other markets internationally. So let's kick it off to Bruce. Joining us now is Bruce Schmoll, and he is a chairman on the U.S. Meat Export Federation Board. He has served on many other boards, including the Minnesota Soybean Growers Association Board and has been an advocate for agriculture for a long time, it sounds like, from your resume, Bruce. Is all of that information correct? Uh, That's very correct. And long time, uh, I think I would add to that, even longer time possibly is. It has seemed like an awful long time I've been working for animal agriculture, even though I'm not a livestock producer. And, Bruce, that's one of the things I want to talk to you about, because you are a corn and soybean grower up there in Dodge County, and you are representing the oilseed producing sector. Why is there an oilseeds producing sector in the U.S. (laughs) Meat Export Federation? You know, Mike, uh, I'm not surprised you asked that question because that's come up a lot lately since I've uh, moved into the chairmanship role. Uh, People need to understand that in agriculture, all of us are looking to add value to our products and do it in the most efficient manner. And when you look at the the red meat export industry or or the livestock industry in general, uh, what better way for a corn uh, and soybean producer to add value to their product then feed those animals locally instead of shipping it down the river in a barge or by rail out to the West Coast, in, in our case, uh, sending our, our corn and soybeans overseas. So it, it makes much more sense to process that product locally, 
send out a condensed version of our corn and soybeans that has added value, plus added benefit of seeing the economics of that money being spent locally and turnover in local communities is just a huge factor. And I think once people stop to listen and understand that connection, you know, the light bulb kind of goes on and, and they can kind of see that, you know, that does make sense to me. And when you look at the U.S. Meat Export Federation, uh, we have the nine different sectors that are involved with the whole industry. You know, everybody that's influenced by uh, the profit profitability of exporting red meat products. And so it just makes logical sense that we try to band together, uh, combine our resources and channel our efforts towards the goal of expanding our business and uh, increasing our export of red meat products internationally. Yes, and I love the way you summarize that. We're adding value here at home rather than just shipping the raw feedstuffs. We're shipping them pork, which is a pretty efficient right. way to get soybeans and corn out of the country. Right. Uh, it, it's interesting. Just recently, USMEF included a study uh, on the corn side of things where we took the top 10 corn-producing states in the U.S., and basically did the analysis for each state on what the added value was uh, processing that corn through animal agriculture and exporting those red meat products. And typically you'll see about 45 cents a bushel being added to the bottom line. And I know mm-hmm. most producers out there, the, the bottom line is what really matters these days, especially when you see corn prices going down and soybean prices going down. Uh, those, those margins are getting razor thin. So when you can look at adding 45 cents to your bottom line, that, that's that's a big deal at this point. Heck yes. Now that U.S. MEF is funded by checkoff dollars from multiple commodity groups, is that right? Uh, that's one of the funding sources, yes. Uh, it's interesting because I just got done talking about that at the Colorado Livestock Association event uh, in Loveland, Colorado here. Uh, we were uh, presented a check from the Colorado Corn Growers uh, Organization. And although it wasn't a huge check in in comparison, when you take a look at those dollars, I try to point out that the fact that those dollars in a lot of cases are matched by other organizations. We accept not only the checkoff funding for different projects, but also we have private industry funding. Uh, we, We have the checkoff funding from all the different boards. And also we have the funding that comes from the U.S. government uh, through the Market Access Program and Foreign Market Development. And it's interesting to note that the funding from those programs come to us based on membership involvement and commitment to the organization. So when you're looking at leveraging membership dollars or checkoff dollars, uh, the more involved the industry is as a whole, committing time and resources to USMEF, the higher the equation goes. Um, that's, that's being plugged into their equation with uh, USDA and, and these types of funds. So consequently, uh, the amount of money that's awarded to USMEF increases. So it's uh, user-friendly. Uh, you know, the more you're involved, the, the better return you're going to get out of it. How are you guys promoting the exports of red meat? Are you talking to buyers in other countries? Are you talking to grocery stores? How does it go? Uh, Mike, I don't know if we have enough time to go over that whole thing. I'll, I'll do my best here. Uh, we, we have a chart that basically when you go into a, a new market, uh, you'll look at first trying to do business with the importers of that country. You, you have to start there because if, if you don't get their support, you're, you're not going to gain any footing anyplace else. And from that, from that area, uh, once you feel secure that you've done a good job there and talk to the people you need to, 
uh, we'll look at going to, into the hotel, restaurant, uh, institution area and, and doing business with them. And once we get past that area and have good foundation there, we'll look into uh, the retail industry, uh, you know, like the Costco's of the world and doing business with those companies. And from there on, uh, we focus on, you know, at some point when the market gets mature, doing uh, different initiatives with consumers. Uh, typically, each year we'll fund uh, different trips to Japan as an example of a mature market. And it's kind of interesting. I've been on a couple of trips over there. We've actually sat down and listened to uh, a, a panel discussion of housewives from Japan. Uh, that, that's, that's really interesting because you get to hear firsthand what their buying habits are, what type of meat products they're looking for, uh, the different cuts of meat, the frequency of shopping. and There are so many things that go into it. But it, it's just a process that you go through to try to gain access and, to different segments of that market. And it's really been a good plan for the USMEF at this point. Fantastic. Gotcha. Now, we've been hearing a ton um, in agriculture news lately about getting U.S. beef into some of the Asian markets. But before I want to talk about that, um, what efforts or focuses are being done for other markets and other products internationally? Well, if you're looking at beef, I I know there's been – we've had a lot of success recently in Korea. And I believe Korea is probably number three or number four as far as the total amount, uh, volume, and value of beef that goes in there. But if you look back to about 2003 when the BSE issue arrived or or happened in the U.S., uh, the Koreans basically shut down the market for U.S. beef. Uh, It took several years. We kind of laid low over there, didn't do a lot of marketing promotion. People were a little bit upset at that time. But around 2006, all of a sudden you've seen uh, increase in the amount of per capita consumption of beef in that country. And from that time on up till the present, we've seen almost a 50% increase on their consumption. So we recognize that that was a, a pretty good market potential for us. So we've had a lot of influence, uh, put a lot of project dollars. Uh, the Colorado corn growers dollars that were presented today are going to be leveraged with other dollars going into that market. Um, and trying to improve our relationship with those retail businesses over there. Uh, a good example, just recently, uh, it was announced that Costco, and through a lot of the efforts at USMEF, is switching out their line of beef products from Australian beef to basically all U.S. beef, which is a huge, mm. huge uh, uh, you know, opportunity for, for U.S. beef producers and everybody else involved. Uh, that doesn't happen that often. And to, to get that kind of volume, um, I forget what the numbers are, but Costco has a very good presence in Korea, sells quite a bit of the product uh, within that country. And so that, that's a big game for the beef producers in the U.S. Uh, in addition to that, recently we did another promotion where uh, in my neighborhood, and I think maybe in, in Colorado as well, there's the Schwann's industry. You guys might be aware you of bet. it too there in Iowa. Oh, that's yeah. How, but, that's how uh, I survived Schwann, yeah. as a child, yeah. <laughs> and so now you're 300 pounds probably Mike or not <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know they started out as an ice cream organization but they developed into a, a lot of different areas and basically it's the convenience of home delivery uh, individually uh, prepared meals and right now the Koreans are going away from cooking meals you know home meals uh, they're, they're moving towards faster type uh, mm. things that don't take as long to prepare uh, you'll see a lot of single families 
or single um, single member uh, individuals living you know by themselves. Plus, the, the couples are you know two wage earner income earners there, and so don't have a lot of time. But anyway, the, the point is that that country is looking at trying to provide the same service that Schwann's is providing. And so last last summer, I believe, uh, we had uh, a trade team come over from South Korea, uh, business people that were involved in the food industry, looking at how Schwann's operates, uh, what their packaging is like, uh, you know, how they deliver their products, the quality of the product. And we had this team come to my farm, uh, USMEF, Minnesota Soybean Health, sponsor it. And it was kind of interesting. We chose about nine different entrees, uh, pork and beef entrees that they offer. And it was quite a challenge to, to cook all those and get them all done at the same time. Plus, you're, you're cooking for people that are pretty sharp and, and know what things should taste like. So mm-hmm. uh, we got over that challenge, but they had a chance to you know try those products and see what it was like. And uh, I think we're pretty optimistic that that's going to lead to improved sales of our beef and pork products over in Korea. So those are just a couple of examples of things that we've done internationally. How are you guys viewing the uh, the new Trump administration as we look out for meat exports? I know we're still waiting on Sonny Perdue and our trade representatives, but we're, you know, three months into this thing. How is it shaping up from your perspective? Uh, you know, just like everybody else I've heard talk about it, we're, we're kind of in a wait-and-see pattern at this point, and you know, we're trying to remain optimistic. I, I think agriculture felt that, you know, we have a, pers- a business person in place at this point who understands profitability and what it takes to, you know, move forward and, and grow as a, as a business. Uh, plus the fact that agriculture has kind of led the way, especially during our last recession when we're looking at uh, coming out of that recession and you know, trade surplus. So I think we're, we're all cautiously optimistic yet a little nervous at this point because it's taking so long. Uh, I just read today that it looks like uh, Sonny Perdue probably, uh, unless he gets a unanimous vote uh, from Congress, might not be installed until May, which is, oh. is kind of disappointing mm-hmm. at this point because we, we really need a, a voice there that's going to represent us. Uh, I know President Trump is meeting today uh, with the Chinese officials, and you know, we're optimistic that certainly trade is going to be on the agenda. And uh, especially with all of our beef producers, we're looking at trying to get that um, you know, that trade opened up again. Uh, time is of the essence here. Uh, we can't wait seven years like TPP, you know, how long it took to get that yeah. organized. So, you know, we, we need to get these bilateral agreements done in a timely fashion here. Uh, a good example is with Japan, and you're looking at the beef side. I, I, I listened to one of your podcasts last night, and you were talking to an individual in the beef organization uh, talking about that. But you know, there is quite a difference in Australian tariffs over there right now compared to what the U.S. has. I think they're about 10-point advantage, yeah. and they're probably yep. going to go down to, uh, what is it, 12 or 15 or mm-hmm. something like yeah. that. So, And the U.S. is still at 38%. Uh, percent. So that that's a huge deal. We've had the chance to displace some Aussie beef in Japan right now, and if things don't improve, we stand a good chance of losing that market share again. So there, there are a lot of factors that... We're kind of standing by watching and and hoping that, you know, fairly quickly uh, things will come to the front and we'll get some agreements done and, you know, see some clarity here. Now, you say a lot, you've been mentioning the Asian markets a lot, but are there any other upcoming markets that you think are going to be a big thing for agriculture and more specifically meat? I mean, has Africa been looked into at all? 
Um, we did a study there a couple of years ago called the Sub-Saharan uh, Sub-Saharan African uh, study, and although there's big potential there, there's still some fairly significant hurdles before mm-hmm. we, you know, we're going to do a fair amount of business there. And we, we always have this discussion. We're right now today. Uh, the meeting I'm going to, we're meeting with the pork people and talking about strategic planning and how we're moving forward. And, and yes, we always want to be looking at new markets, but we have to understand the value of protecting the existing markets like we have in Japan, where it's a, it's a high-value, high-volume market. Even though it's a mature market and the population isn't growing, uh, the tourist industry is growing in Japan. So that, that's a big factor. So you need to still be aware of the value those markets provide and kind of compare that to what does um, what do new markets offer you? Is there enough value there to make it worth your time and effort and be spending checkoff dollars in those areas? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so at, at this point, uh, credit uh, probably uh, some concern about uh, poor business practices going on in the African region, and so I, it's not not real high on the priority list at this point. I know in South America there are a couple of countries that uh, have had some pretty good possibilities. Uh, in the Caribbean, the Dominican, we saw a, a pretty good increase in tourism there. Uh, a lot of U.S. Uh, tourists going down there, so there's been a pretty good increase there in, in beef and pork products. So, yeah, there are a number of places around, uh, nothing that's really standing out at this point. I think more of a concern now is what's going to happen with Mexico. If you know, Is the rhetoric mm-hmm. going to die down? Uh, the, the Mexicans are are looking for other countries to rely on, uh, you know, to have a, a variety of options there when it comes to purchasing different products. So I hope we can get over that and get back to business as usual because Mexico, again, is, is typically one of our number one and two customers when you're looking at pork and beef exports. So that's that's kind of the brief explanation. So do, do does tourism and um, getting American meat into countries do those have a strong correlation um in some areas yes uh yeah when you're looking at the caribbean it does uh for the most part though we try to look at that that value chain that i talked about earlier and and focusing on where we're at through that progression i guess and that that's probably more important at this point uh if you look at just overall export numbers uh we, we've been doing pretty well uh, since last year with both the pork and beef side. So we, you know, we've been, we've seen double digit increases in exports over there. So we're pretty happy with how things are going at this point. But, you know, there are a few clouds on the horizons that we're going to have to get over and, um, see how things pan out for the rest of this year. Well, Bruce, I just want to, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And I hope as we go through the rest of this year and you continue to work on your role as chairman, we can have this conversation again and see how things are uh, maturing. Oh, Mike, I'd be happy to do it anytime. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to call me whenever you have a chance. We will do that, we Bruce. Will. Get, Thank get you. home safe, and uh, have a great day. All righty. Thanks a lot, both of you guys. Take Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Bruce for taking time out of his day. I know he was traveling this week, uh, having some meetings. I think he said Colorado, and I think he was in Colorado, actually, when he called and talked to us. So we really appreciate that. And he had a lot of interesting things to say. I didn't realize that Korea was going to be such an up and coming market, but uh, maybe that will alleviate some of the pressure to work with Japan and China. 
Yeah, that uh, growing middle class over there in Asia, Korea, Japan, uh, China, you know, hopefully all of those places will prove to be markets for this U.S. pork as the uh, time goes forward. Yes, definitely. So we will definitely have Bruce on again. I think he has a lot of good things to share. But coming up next week, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to try to get somebody from the Wisconsin dairy industry on. And Mike, do you have anything else planned for us next week? Yes. Um, I don't know what it is. But yes, a lot <laughs> okay. is going to be happening next week. Okay. Like you mentioned, I mean, really, it's going to be following so much of the uh, the administration's policies with economic trade. And let's see, next Monday, yeah, next Monday, we will have our second crop progress report published by the USDA. Mm. So we will take a look at that. Even if there isn't a whole lot to report, we will make sure we track planting progress throughout the springtime. But before we go, I have a few little tidbits I want to share with you all. For those of you that don't have Twitter but want to be active and want to share your comments and ideas with us, feel free to email us info at agnewsdaily.com or with any of our names. So Mike at agnewsdaily.com or myself, Delaney, D-E-L-A-N-E-Y at agnewsdaily.com. So please feel free to shoot us an email. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. And we'll see you next week.